You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. I'm excited to say that next week we're actually going to be uh, jumping back into our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, which we'd put on hold for the summer. Um, Uh, which means that today we're going to be concluding our summer sermon series, No Greater Love. On that end, I hope that as, as we've been drawn into the truth of, of God's great love, which, is, which was given and revealed to us through Jesus Christ, that, that it's been encouraging and even reassuring for all of you. But just as importantly, I hope that it's challenged and inspired you to, to tangibly live it out for his glory and for his name. And I say that especially as we, as we enter into this new season as a church. I think that's going to be really important to have that foundation as we live it out. Um, and that's really the point for us as Christians, as believers. We, we love because he first loved us, which is why we're going to bookend and sum up this series with a, with a pretty weighty and, and heavy-hitting passage from Scripture. So prepare yourselves. It comes from 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, which simply says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Some translations write, do everything in love. It's such a a short sentence, but yet all-encompassing right? And, and, and I think it's worthy of focusing on this morning because I, I feel like we often do have a tendency, just as humans in general, I think, but we have a tendency to compartmentalize Jesus' commands to love God and love others in, into these specific actions or moments throughout our day, right? But the, but the message here is clear, that, and there's no getting around it, that as followers of Jesus, love is meant to be the motivating characteristic and purpose for every single action we take. Every single moment. All that we do. Do everything in love. Though, right off the bat, that seems like a pretty tall order, right? But yet, when we look back, especially to the the first two messages of our series, where we learn that God is love, and therefore everything he does flows from his love, it does make sense then that if through Jesus Christ we've become born again as children of God, that we too should inevitably begin to live out our lives in the same way. In fact, earlier in that same letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he says it like this, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This passage reminds me of a time I took my uh, oldest son to an instrument store when he was around four years old. 
he discovered a drum set just almost instantly. Uh, it was set up in the middle of the store, and, and so, he, so he immediately beelined over to it, grabbed a couple drumsticks, and just started smashing the cymbals as loud as he could, right? No rhythm to it, just, just hitting them with everything he could muster as a four-year-old. And uh, he could muster a lot. Uh, <laughs> but while he was certainly having a great time, after a while, I could tell that some of the employees and uh, some of the customers uh, were starting to get a little irritated by the incessant crashing and clanging. And I could tell because they were all glaring at me as his dad. And so, of course, I tried to get him to stop, you know, pull him away. Uh, but whenever I put him down or, or whenever I turned my attention away for a moment to look at a guitar or a guitar pedal or something, he kept on running back to the cymbals, grabbing the drumsticks and crashing them all over again. And so the whole store would just be constantly filled with this, this sound of crashing cymbals. And so eventually, for the sanity of, of everyone and for the safety of myself, uh, we, we just had to leave the store. We just left. And, and this is the idea of, 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 of this passage, right? That, that unless love is our motivator in, in how we interact with God and, and with others, we'll be like those crashing cymbals, just random noise clanging annoyingly and pointlessly. And yes, if we're the ones hitting them, we might be having a, you know, a selfishly good time expressing ourselves and drawing attention to ourselves. But it also means we're drowning out the needs and, and opinions and, and the value of others while we do it. But don't get me wrong, symbols... Symbols are great in the right context, right? That is, when they're mixed in with the, with the rest of, of the drum set and especially with the rest of the band and, and you know, in the context of the full band where, where the symbols become valued and, and, and necessary for the dynamics and, and rhythm. In fact, they can be extremely impactful when, when, they're, when they're hit at the right moment. But again, on their own, they just become loud and obnoxious. In the same way, the Apostle Paul isn't telling us that, that things like speaking in tongues or prophesying or using your spiritual gifts or having full knowledge and understanding of God's word or having great faith and obedience and feeding the poor and working hard are, are bad things. He's not telling us that. No, he's telling us that they're good things, that they're useful and, and certainly important fruit-bearing qualities of our spirit-filled lives as believers. But yet that they only have kingdom value, eternal impact, and godly purpose when they begin and end with love. That is, when they're done primarily for the purpose of glorifying God and building up the body of Christ. Because the, the problem with the Corinthian church, which Paul's addressing there, is that members of the church were, were using their spiritual gifts to draw attention to themselves, right? They, they, they were celebrating the more obvious and, and charismatic gifts and those that had them, like tongues and prophecy and knowledge and generosity, over and above the so-called less obvious gifts. More than that, they were holding them in, in higher regard over and above the importance of having unity and godly character. So they got, they got caught up in acting spiritual, but yet their lives reflected little of the characteristic of love or the fruit of the Spirit. 
And, and this message, I believe, is, is, is incredibly relevant to us Western Christians today as, as we often find ourselves doing the same things, right? Caught up having the same, same attitude as the Corinthians. And, and we might not admit it or, or even fully realize that we're doing it, but generally speaking, when we're speaking as a, as a church as a, as a whole, the Western church as a whole, the evidence reveals to us pretty clearly that we've created a culture within the church one which we've inherited from the world, which encourages us to often pass over godly character in favor of celebrity and popularity, right? In favor of achievements, in favor of knowledge or intelligence, or, or in favor of gifting and talents. For example, many a church has unfortunately been known to, to ignore or hide sins and even cover up abuses done by their leaders or their volunteers because these people are great speakers or because they're fluent in the prophetic or because they're talented worship leaders or because they're doctrinally sound and they sell lots of books or because they fill seats and can draw a crowd. But Paul's reminding us that we've got our priorities messed up. He's saying godly character expressed through love should be at the top of the list of our priorities. As Paul reminds us later in 1 Corinthians, in the end, all that remains is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love for God and love for others is the most important thing. And on that end, any knowledge or any gifts, any blessings we've been given are only meant to be tools to help us love others, to help us build others up in Christ. They're not meant to be the goal or an end in and of themselves. More than that, and, and most importantly, the truth of Jesus Christ is only made known when we proclaim him with and from a place of love. This is why Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4.15 to specifically speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Because yes, to tell people about the truth of Christ and our need for him because of our sin, you know, whether it's in the form of correction or whether it's in, in encouragement or whether it's in outreach, is in itself an act of love. To tell people about Jesus is a loving thing to do. But it's also true that if, if, if that truth isn't presented in, in a gentle or kind or loving manner, if it's not presented out of, out of a genuine concern for the other and for the sake of unity, but rather from a place of you know, arrogance or, or smugness or pride or in a way that's argumentative or whatever, you know, then it's unlikely to be received or, or received positively anyways. And I'm sure that we've all experienced that, that a lack of love often makes whatever we're being told unpalatable and, and often grotesque, right? Just take a look at social media right now. It's such, a, it's such an easy example. I think we use it all the time, but it's mostly just a bunch of people spouting off their opinions in the form of argumentative accusations and smug rebukes. They obviously don't care about others. They just care about being right. I'm right and you're not. And while some of what's said might be truth, it's hard to tell, and it doesn't really matter, because due to the way it's presented most times, it's all just crashing symbols. It's pointless. It's only worthy of being scrolled past and ignored. The only seeds being planted in those scenarios, I'd say, are just offense and disgust. 
you know, just basically causing people to dig deeper trenches and harden their hearts even more against one another. So the reality is that in most cases, no one's mind will be persuaded about anything, and no one's heart's heart will ever be changed in a positive way when the evidence of love is vacant from the conversation and from the relationship. Which means, especially for us as Christians, that when we're speaking or when we're interacting with others, when we're sharing our opinions, when we're representing the gospel, which uh, technically is always, and especially when we're, we're discussing and sharing the truths of God and his word, we need to be doing it in, in a loving manner, built on, on relationship and kindness and compassion and grace. You know, this is, this is likened to the problem Jesus had against the church in Ephesus in Revelation 3. If, if, if you read through that, you'll find that it seemed like they had lots of knowledge of the word of Scripture. They were abstaining from sinful things. They were doing good works. But yet, they'd abandoned their first love. And it made it all moot. I just wanted to say moot. I don't say that very often. It's all moot without love. Um, about them, Pastor Greg Morse writes, they had a zeal for orthodoxy, but they had lost their love for Jesus. They showed up for Bible studies and debated the heretics, but lost their pure love for the Lord. They, they stood against evil in their midst, but tolerated a sluggish love towards Jesus and each other. They privately were abandoning Christ in their, their public crusade for truth about Christ. They were exchanging Christ himself for theological images of their Savior. So to put it simply, they'd, they'd lost the plot. They'd lost the foundation of what they were doing. They'd, they'd, they'd even become the very evidence of 1 Corinthians 8.1, which reminds us that knowledge puffs up. Puffs up. But love builds up. Right? They were getting puffed up in their knowledge and their abstinence from sin. Look how awesome we're doing. But they lacked genuine relationship with Jesus. It, it, it just became empty religion. And don't get me wrong, to grow in, in the knowledge of God and the truth of his word and to walk in obedience to it, obviously, incredibly important for us. But without love, it tends to become legalistic and produce that big-headedness, kind of like many of the Pharisees who interacted with Jesus. On the other side of the coin, though, let's be honest, love without knowledge and discernment, without knowing right from wrong or what God demands of us, can be just as problematic, right? Without truth, we might be tempted to say things or, or affirm things that are actually sinful or not true at all in our attempt to be kind and loving and encouraging. So we need both. As Timothy Keller writes, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Which is why I think Paul prays in Philippians 9.1, he says, he says, I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. He said, truth and love are meant to go hand in hand. As our love grows in it, we'll bear good fruit. But again, without love, not so much. And, and the same goes for everything else. 
Same goes for everything else we're, we're called to do as believers and we're called to be as believers. For example, w- without love, again, knowledge and moral discernment tends to produce arrogance and conceitedness. But also without love, our, our obedience and our good works and our acts of generosity usually end up only producing self-righteousness, which in turn produces condescension towards others who aren't as morally upright as us. And without love, positions of authority inevitably turn into authoritarianism. And without love, we tend to become jealous of others' successes and gifts rather than encouraging and rejoicing them in it. And without love, we tend to remain bitter against those who've hurt us. And without love, our gifts and talents become self-serving and self-aggrandizing. And without love... Moral or doctrinal correction looks more like condemnation and legalism than restoration. And without love, people in relationships exist for the purpose of serving the self. And without love, our opinions and innate desires to be right become more important than being compassionate, kind, and unifying. Without love, all that we do is vanity. And God isn't part of that. But again, in contrast to that, when God's love is the foundation and the goal, our works and our lives then become deeply impacting, supernaturally powerful, and eternally fruitful for the kingdom of God and for the good of those around us. And that's when Christ is glorified. That's when his kingdom is revealed. And so first off, I think we need to learn from the churches, churches in Ephesus and Colossae here by also taking a good look at ourselves and our lives and asking, have we lost our first love? We need to look at ourselves and say, what truly compels us to do what we do and say what we say? Are we using our knowledge or our gifts or our relationships in order to puff ourselves up or to build others up? Because again, the thing about love and, 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 again, and a lesson that we've, we've, been, we've been talking about that we started at the first message of this series, the, the thing about love is that authentic love is always selfless and sacrificial. Love, that is agape love, is a love that joyfully and humbly gives and serves for the sake of someone else. Just as Jesus did for us, he served us. He humbled himself and served us. For the joy set before him, he became for us the perfect manifestation and physical revelation of God's love. Even taking the the burden and weight of our sin upon himself to the point of death on the cross for our good, for our freedom. He served us. Romans 15, 2-3 reminds us to emulate this. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So so this is the heart of the kingdom of God. 
This is the heart of the kingdom of God. This is the fullness of all the law and the prophets. This is the evidence of the spirit of God working in us and through us. It's the way in which the world is meant to see and hear about Jesus' saving grace. It's how the world will know that we belong to him. It's what transforms our hearts and compels us to live for him. Everything depends on love. Therefore, without it, we gain nothing. We are nothing. Just clanging symbols, noise that fades away along with everything else that's temporary in the world. But what lasts is love. So let us seek to do everything in love. But as I've said, that's a, that's a tall order. None of us are, are perfectly loving like God is. So first of all, we're thankful that we can come to him and find forgiveness and grace any time we fall short. But even so, as his children, it should still be our desire to do it and to grow in it. We should seek to do everything in love because God first loved us. And he loved us, again, with the greatest love. John 15, 12 to 13 It says, this is my commandment that you love one another. This is Jesus saying this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, for his friends, sinners, saved by grace. There's no greater love than this. Amen? But in doing so, he has also renewed our hearts and given us the capacity and his spirit to do the same. And so with that in mind, whether we desire to grow in this or whether we're struggling to be able to do it, like if we're struggling to forgive or to be patient or to be kind or, or, or to serve others and, and above ourselves and to be generous or if we're finding it hard to put away malice or envy or selfish desires, if we're unable to speak the truth in love when we find ourselves just always arguing about our opinions with with other people, I, I don't think the solution is for us to simply just try harder in being more loving. Because while love isn't always painless, it should never be burdensome. Rather, the solution then is to draw deeper into the source, into Christ, into his unwavering and fully satisfying love. Because in order to do everything in love, we need to be, first of all, secure and confident in the truth that we are already deeply and fully loved by him. As theologian Henry Nguyen writes, Jesus wants us to receive the love he offers. He wants nothing more than that we allow him to love us and enjoy that love. And this is so hard since we always feel that we have to deserve the love offered to us. But Jesus wants to offer that love to us, not because we have earned it, but because he has decided to love us independently of any effort on our own, on our side. Our own love for each other should flow from that first love that is given to us undeserved. So let's come before Jesus as the church, as the body of Christ, as his disciples. Let's humble ourselves before his throne with thanksgiving and repentance. Let's take hold of that grace and undeserved love which he freely offers us. 
And then let's allow that love and the power of his indwelling spirit flow out from us in all that we say and do. Let's do everything in love in light of the fact that we have been given the greatest love. Mm -hmm.